Hello fellow gamers. Uh, I am so excited today to give you an interview with Jonathan Gilmore, Doug Lewandowski, and Spencer Stark as we talk about Kids on Brooms. Now Kids on Bikes has been one of my favorites in the past year. I've played this role-playing game more than any other role-playing game I've played, which is pretty amazing considering that I didn't really start playing role-playing games again until just recently. Um, the fact is that if you can create a really powerful storytelling system, then I'm on board and I think that the whole idea behind Rolling for Change, the idea of looking for games that make changes to us, that allow us to bleed into the game, the game to bleed out into us and, and the possibilities for uh, seeking growth and um, confidence and all these different factors play into our role-playing games and so that was why I had to talk to these guys about Kids on Brooms. Now Kids on Brooms is not out yet. It will come out I think August is when it's coming out uh, but you can hear about it here. You can go check out the Renegade website and you can back the game. Uh, you can check out recent podcasts that are playthroughs of Kids on Brooms uh, but for now We've got these three guys here to talk to and and get a feel for what is Kids on Brooms, what makes it distinct from Kids on Bikes and Teens in Space, and uh, what are the similarities. So all kinds of uh, exciting things to talk about. We also talk about some of our favorite role-playing games and the impact that those role-playing games are having on us. So uh, you're in for a good ride. And uh, thanks so much for listening. Uh, without further ado, here is... Jonathan Gilmore, Doug Lewandowski, Spencer Stark, and myself stuck talking about kids on games. Welcome to Rolling for Change, a podcast about the transformational nature of gaming. My name is Woody Harris. I am your host. And today I am joined by the three amigos, uh, Jonathan Gilmore, Doug Lewandowski, and Spencer Stark. Hi, hey. guys. How are you? Hello. Hey, thanks Don't for having us on. Excited to have you guys here. Yeah, we're excited to be here. Thank you for having Thrilled. us. Yeah, super excited. Yep. So, uh... For those who don't know, uh, Doug and John have made Kids on Bikes and Teens in Space and probably a number of other things that I don't know right now. <laughs> uh, but now we add Spencer Stark and they have created Kids on Brooms. Hi, I'm here. That's me. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we're going to talk about the phenomenon of Kids on because I guess that's the way we <laughs> it's, it's just called Kids on now. Yeah. Um, Kids in libraries, kids in parks, um, and uh, just kind of get into some of the nitty gritty of kids on brooms. But but first, I just want to thank you guys for making great games. Thank you. Uh, thanks for playing them. Yeah, we have had such a good time with kids on bikes lately. I, I think the best thing about the pandemic for me has been playing kids on bikes online with uh, a few of my friends that are therapists. Um, and we have, we've had a good time every Tuesday night for the past four or five weeks now. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Thank you. 
Yeah, you're welcome. Um, so we we talked a little bit to to Doug about this, um, but our our goal is to eventually release our recordings of this and call it uh, Shrinks on Bikes. Um, <laughs> that's so good. I love that. Now, whether or not I play it well or not, that's another question. I keep going back to the book, and I keep trying to figure out, am I really paying attention to all the rules? The, the um, important part but, is that you're having fun. That's the, uh, that's the most important rule. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, if you're having fun, you're playing it right. Well, there you go. Um, just getting used to dice rolls. I love the collaborative storytelling aspect of it and uh, the way that we're all putting a story together. And I've got to say, this is my first time ever being a GM as an adult. Because I was a, a DM as a kid, and I was very much a Monty Hall. Behind this door, you'll find this, or you could take this door. Right. Um, uh, but this is my first time as an adult doing it, and so it's a very nice creative process. And I find that uh, whether I want them or not, characters channel through me. Uh, that's fascinating to me. That's awesome. Um, and I can't do the voices of all of them, so they all sound the same. <laughs> <laughs> or worse yet. I'll, I'll speak a voice and then I'll be like, that wasn't the voice I had for that character a moment ago. <laughs> but so I'm just really enjoying uh, playing kids on bikes, looking forward to teens on space. But uh, um, today we're talking about kids on brooms. So where is this coming from? What made, what, what brought this into being? So John and I were having a talk with uh, Scott from Renegade and Ivan from Hunter's as we were close to wrapping up teens in space and talking about what comes next. And we were just kind of spitballing names of games to maybe get some inspiration there. Um, and Scott said, yeah, I mean, something like uh, maybe kids on brooms. And we we're like, yep, that's it. Uh, <laughs> Simultaneously, as that was happening, unannounced un un to me, uh, I was at uh, Big Bad Con, um, which is a great storytelling uh, games uh, convention in San Francisco. And I was running a hack of Kids on Bikes called Kids on Brooms uh, that I um, had ported over from from the uh, edition that had dropped that I had um, of bikes. And uh, and I had run that for some friends and or for some, uh, I ran it at like the games on demand table um, for a group. And we had the best role-playing game experience I had ever had up till that point. It was just like the most fun I had had being a Harry Potter fan, uh, mm -hmm. you know, being a magical school like fan, like I wanted to play a game like that. And so, um, so yeah, I think simultaneously that was sort of happening. And, um, and then I came to Ivan after doing Icarus and was like, Hey, I, I have a, uh, I have a kids on brooms hack of kids on bikes. And he was like, uh, that's already in the works like there are that's already something that they're planning <laughs> on on doing let me connect you with them and so then that kind of brought us together yeah that's awesome okay so i, I you're allowed to say the harry potter words <laughs> i don't know i don't know i just did well it's, it's homage yeah, he, he was doing a harry potter hack kids on brooms is, yeah. is yeah. intrinsically different in that it's uh it's about wizard kids at a school right right and it's, so it's, different. it's similar but legally distinct <laughs> is the term that I like to use. But it's also uh, you know up to the players to craft their own world. So just like in Teens in Space, you could do 
Star Wars if you wanted, just like Kids on Bikes, you could do Stranger Things if you wanted, or you could do E.T., or you could do Goonies, or Super 8, or whatever. This you can do um, uh, Harry Potter, Akata Witch, um, pretty the much magicians. anything. Yeah, the Magicians, yeah. Um, any oh, of yeah, those, magicians. Okay. any of those, like, you know, wizard kind of uh, uh, young wizard games or young wizard um, genre things. I mean, there's so many of those in young adult novels uh, now that it's you know it's it's become its own genre. Um, Harry Potter, I think, was just the most popular of the bunch, but it's it's definitely you know the, the thing that everybody goes to when pointing at that genre. So I think that's why it intrinsically gets its like that. That's sort of where people go with it. But um, yeah, but it is you know you 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 design your own world, you design your own kind of school, you design the culture, and and um, so it's it's it is it can be very different and every game I've played of it has been very different from, uh, from the last, as far as that's concerned. So. Okay. Now, now I'm wondering and just, just kind of wandering through my mind, wondering what happened before Harry Potter. Was there any magician schools before Harry Potter in literature? I don't have an answer. I just wonder. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, there has to be. Yeah. I mean, there's the once in future King with, um, but that's not really a school. That's just Merlin. It's more like a tutorship. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, when I when I start to type uh, wizard schools in, uh, Doodle just autofills in America. So apparently, <laughs> people think wizard schools are a real thing. Wizard schools in America. Well, if you find any, I, I'd love to. I'd love to maybe audit some classes. <laughs> I'm too old to go back to school, but I could audit classes, especially yeah. if they put them on Zoom. Apparently, there's the books of magic by uh, or, uh, that Neil Gaiman was a part of, and that is similar as well. I haven't I haven't read it, but um, but that's uh, a similar kind of genre feel. And actually, the characters look very similar, which is odd. I'm looking at an article now that shows the main character from Neil Gaiman's miniseries and Harry Potter, and they almost look identical, which is interesting, mm. uh, given that that came out before Harry Potter. So, Well, similar, but legally distinct. Right, right, right. That's what it is. Yeah. Yeah, there's a, there's a pretty extensive Wikipedia article for inspiration. There's a lot of things. Uh, Discworld had the Unseen University. That's right. Mm. That's right. Yeah, so there's an archetype then of of well, magical schools basically. And uh you guys have tapped into it. So how does that differ from the things that you've created before? What what makes this stand out besides the fact that it's kids on brooms? Well, we have Spencer working with us, so it's like <laughs> 50% better boom right there. <laughs> um. <laughs> We, we tried to shift the focus in each uh, game so that they, it's not just like adding in one thing. So with Teens in Space, we took away the power character and we came up with the rules for the, the shared control of the ship and all the different, you know, mechanics behind it, this. And with this, w well, with Kids on Bikes originally, we didn't want any one player to be powered. Because yeah, yeah. we're like, well, everybody's going to want to be the power character. And then it's going to not be the stories that we're trying to tell. Um, and that's why we did the shared control of the power character. Um, and in this, you know, we kind of embraced everybody being cool and magical. So there is no 
you know, power territory or, or any kind of shared control in this one. It, but we, you know, took a lot of time and I mean, probably the majority of the last year going back and forth on different ways to make a magic system that didn't fall into some of the traps that we feel exist in other magic systems, especially in a rules light RPG like this. So traps, can you talk about what the traps would be in other RPG systems? Yeah, one would be that in... So one of the cool things about a lot of the magic in uh, literature and in TV is that it's like, okay, here's this magician. They want to do this thing, so they do it. As opposed to something like D&D where it's like, the magician wants to do this thing. So he seeks someone out who can teach him how to do the spell. He learns the spell. Maybe he memorizes it, maybe he doesn't, and then he can cast it once per day. Um, and that was something that we knew we didn't want to do. We wanted people to be able to cast whatever occurred to them as um, something to do. But we also didn't want it to just be like a, well, magic is going to solve every single one of my problems, right? Uh, I didn't mm -hmm. study for my test, so whoosh, done. Um, oh, I need to teleport all of us to, you know, LaGuardia Airport. <laughs> Done. I don't know why you would ever go to LaGuardia when you can teleport. But, um, and so uh, making sure that we struck the balance between keeping it open so that magic can do anything you can think of, but also narrow enough that it's not just your, uh, hey, how are we going to problem solve today? We're going to use magic, right? Okay. All right, so that so that basically you can't use magic as your it can't it doesn't supersede everything in the story. Like you can't you can't sort of become an alpha player just because you have all this magical ability. I mean, you can certainly attempt to, but we built our kind of intrinsic risk system of of the escalating failures um, into it, so that you know that things will backfire if you try to do them too often. And especially if you try to do, like, if you try to do, like, really subtle magic a lot, it's probably going to be fine. But when you start doing things with higher stakes or with very specific uh, requirements, you know, the, the challenge level gets higher and your risk of failure gets bigger. Okay. Yeah, it's more powerful, but it's also more dangerous right and so when you're when you're taking those big risks making those big moves in, in using magic sometimes it will pay off um uh but if you try and do i mean oftentimes you know the, the, it, it will pay off but if you try and do that a lot if you try and use it for everything you're gonna fall into a place where uh you're putting yourself into danger more often um and so i think that will help to sort of create that you know risk reward like is it worth it for me to try and do that thing if it's going to put me in more danger in this moment um or do, do i just do it in a mundane way that might not put me in, in as much danger but you know um isn't isn't using magic so so yeah so there's that sort of balance in, in the system we've made that i think is really cool okay and the system we initially had really swung towards making it harder to do magic mm -hmm. um and that was something we went back and forth about a lot uh and ultimately uh 
I think it was John who said like, yeah, I mean, maybe people should just have fun playing the game. Um, <laughs> and uh, I think that's a lot of what we leaned into in terms of magic, that we want this to be a fun system, but part of fun is the challenge, right? And so if you just mm -hmm. wave your wand and everything solves, that's not fun. Um, but also if you're like, okay, well, I'm going to brew myself a cup of tea with magic. Well, it explodes and you die. That's also not fun. <laughs> Make a new character. Start it. Right. Reroll. <laughs> right. Re yeah. yeah. I mean, do doing the fun thing as often as possible is one of my design maxims. And that's, you know, usually how I argue most rules that I want in a game is like, does this let the player do the fun thing? If not, I don't know if we need it. I like that. So one thing I was thinking about is that the, the nice thing about being adults and, and playing games like this is that when we were kids, we didn't really have the sense of fairness. We didn't really have the sense of how to balance our imagination with other people's imagination and kind of get stuck in the bog of, no, my way, no, my way. And these rules kind of give us a chance to all play together in a fair way. So for the first time in our lives, maybe through games, through the structures that game makers are giving us, we get to play finally in a fair way so that everybody can have a good time. So I love that maxim of, of making sure you have fun. That's so important. Especially in a genre like this. You know, like the, the people that are playing this game tend to be the people that uh, wanted to live out those kinds of magical school uh, fantasies as kids like me. Mm -hmm. um, whether it was <clears throat> a, the legally distinct properties we've talked about or not, just magic as a uh, as a as a thing has been something that fascinates us uh i think humans in general if we just look at history and so to be able to have a game where you can do that is really neat and exciting and you know by by focusing in on uh making it so that it's fun as opposed to just hard to do everything with ma you know ju just making it like really difficult to do things mm -hmm. with magic uh it it feels less like that fun adventure um kind of you know thing and more like a brutal difficult experience which is I, I tone wise is not what we wanted so we so we ended up backing off that a little bit and and going with you know some scores that were easier to hit and and adjusting the numbers so that <clears throat> it was uh more adventure oriented than it was survival oriented yeah okay so it, are the brooms similar to bikes in the sense that, like, later on, you know, you guys, uh, uh, Doug and Jonathan, uh, you guys were able to make the bike almost like a character in the game, like you added some details to the bikes. Do the brooms fit the same kind of idea? Well, I mean, our, our good friend Ian Moss and uh, the cast members of the Kids on Bikes uh, podcast all you know, kind of pointed out to us at very similar times that uh, we made a game called Kids on Bikes with no rules for bikes at all, <laughs> <laughs> uh, which was a very embarrassing moment. But it was it was it was nice because you know, reminded us of like, hey, we need to have these discussions uh, when we're designing them, you know, about you know what all the important vectors of the game are. So in this one, um, right away we we decided that the brooms were going to be important. Yeah, and so the brooms function very, very similarly, um, but just a little bit streamlined. So in the rules for bikes, um, I think there were, was it two or three elements to the bike that 
have a mechanical impact. I think it was two, like a um, the color and then upgrade to the bike, right? Uh huh. Yeah. Now there's just the broom, and it gives you one up, uh, one boost in when you're on the broom, and that's it. So streamlining that, um, since the bikes was an added rule for people who wanted to increase the complexity. Since this is a core part of the game, we decided let's keep it simple and have it do one thing for you. But we added, we did depending on we, which broom you have. There are are also yeah. rules for for how you make your um, your wand, and so that does add a little bit of that extra. Okay. You know, uh, uh, it it balances out that um, uh, that mechanically as far as like adding extra things that you can do in your wands. Depending on how you build your wand, it gives you bonuses and certain stats and things. So that's kind of a cool a cool feature as well that you get to build out your wand in the beginning of the game. Mm-hmm. Nice. So you guys all come together, and I I can imagine that this is like a, a writer's room kind of situation where you're all just bouncing ideas off of each other. Was that a was that a really strong collaboration, or was it hard to get through that because people had so many different ideas about what a what a kid on the broom would look <laughs> like? I think we're lucky in that the genre is pretty well defined. Um, okay. it doesn't, there's not too much variance in this genre. So when we were looking at all the archetypes, we kind of needed to be able to give players to be able to fill out that, that kind of narrative, right? There, there weren't a ton of different, like there, there wasn't a lot of, um, disagreement in that regard like we we kind of knew what we needed to hit in order to make this thing work and yeah we all kind of took the pieces that we felt most passionate about in that regard and flushed those out and came back and um yeah i i i don't think there was there there were definitely discussions about like should we include this should we not include this should we have mechanical mm-hmm. weight to this or not um as you do you know as you do with any game design but um but no, that that yeah, for for me at least, the nice part about it was that it, the genre is so well defined that it was easy to just go. Here are the pieces we need to fill. Who wants to take what? Come mm-hmm. back together. Make sure they all fit cohesively, and then, you know, see how they play. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think like John said, the thing we spent the most time on was the magic system. Um, and how are we going to make that work? And how difficult is it going to be? How easy is it going to be? Um, and I know that was the place where we had the most back and forth about how do we make this work and what's the appropriate mm-hmm. degree of difficulty. Um, yeah, and also I think the degree of complexity as well. We at some at one point had um, you know schools of magic that were right. different from the stats, um, and so there's sort of this like one step removed from the stats that ended up becoming more confusing than it needed to. And so then we backed that off and sort of went with a more streamlined version. There was lots of conversation around that, right? And like, how much does it, how far do we need to go with that to make it feel like it is a magic system, but also make it so that when you're sitting at the table and you're trying to tell the story, uh, the, the game doesn't come to a screeching halt every time you want to do magic, because that's the most fun part. So when you go to do magic, it should be fun and, you know, fast and feel like the rest of the game rather than the whole thing 
sort of slowing down and having to figure out, wait, that stat was related to this school of magic and I have a bonus and this plus. So there's like that kind of balance as well, where you want to make sure that players can just go, oh, I want to do this thing. It's this kind of magic. This is my stat and that I roll that stat. Yeah, I think the the last game of D&D that I played many years ago, one of the players was our wizard and he had like 12 physical books of wizard reference material that he brought with him every time and like any time it came time to do magic stuff he would just grind the game to a halt and like start flipping through pages and and quoting stuff and we definitely didn't want that we wanted it to not impact the flow of the game i do commend that guy's dedication to the wizard life though if he's bringing 12 physical books to the table (laughs) exactly that's yeah i mean i feel like he was like a real wizard (laughs) <laughs> yeah in the game of D I run at home we had a, a five minute conversation mid game about what it means to move in terms of the spell the cantrip booming blade which <laughs> if anybody's ever played with or gm that one knows that that's a nightmare um and the conversation didn't finish um and ha- we had to have i had to say like okay we're gonna just put a pin in this i'm gonna let you do it this time but we need to sort this out for next time because I think, I think you're misusing it, and um, uh, we had after that after the game a half hour conversation about like, okay, well if they move they have to do this but not that, and it's like we didn't want that to be the thing that, yeah, I mean grinds the game to a halt, um, because that's not the sort of thing that we're we're making here. Right. right. D&D is, like... is tactical, right? So it's like you right. kind of can have those conversations. They don't necessarily seem out of character for the game. This is not that kind of game. Right. Yeah. And I don't mean to crap on D&D. Like, I love D&D. I play it once sure. a week during quarantine and I'm <laughs> super happy. Um, so, yeah. It's just different play styles, right? And I think that exactly. that's one of the things like as as game designers, you kind of have to make... Uh, your design is all about choices right the choices you make like what you choose to include what kind of how you choose to include those rules you're creating the boundaries in which people play and so design is inherently choice and so by by making the choice that that's not the kind of game that we're playing we're and 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 making rules that follow that that is directing players into the style of play that they should you know um uh, that that the game best functions with yeah, and one of the other traps that didn't fall, you know, going back to the traps thing is we, and it talk, goes into what Dodd was talking a little bit too, is we didn't want the magic system to be easily exploitable. Like, I think that's the thing that happens in some games, and like when you think about magic, like a player could be like, oh well, I can easily summon a you know match stick worth of fire anywhere that I want. Oh, I'll just do it in, you know, that guy's brain. <laughs> okay. And like this trivial spell can become deadly. So we wanted to, you know, make sure that we accounted for play styles like that too, where people couldn't just, you know, do uh, like a using magic offensively in the game is a thing that, you know, we address in the rule book, but B just made sure that you couldn't like, we want people to use magic creatively, but not break it either. Yeah, you're trying to move story forward, basically, as opposed to bog it down in the moment. And I, I do love D&D. I do love Pathfinder. But at times, those people who are rules lawyers, those people who really get into the stickly detail of every piece of 
of information in those books can cause a game to come to a grinding halt, at least for a little while, until people can agree on, okay, this is the way we manage this rule. So it sounds like you guys are avoiding that, which is really important to me, because the one thing I can say about playing kids on bikes is that there is this sense of narrative flow that makes it very easy to create story. And it's, it's when those rules get in the way that it starts to be less fun. So... Oh, 100%. That, that's so important. And that's what that's what drove me to uh, play Kids on Bikes when it first came out and what also drove me to hack it uh, when I was first <laughs> exploring this uh, this world. And I wanted a game that, that flowed the way that Kids on Bikes games flowed for me, but I wanted them in a, in a magical school. Um, and it just so happened that so did they. So that was a, a nice fortuitous event. Um, but agreed, that was that was the feeling I wanted with that kind of game. And I think it's the feeling that this genre deserves. Uh, you know. Yeah, in the, the podcast we're doing for the actual play, um, in our last session, we had something caught on fire. And so one of the characters was like, okay, I'm going to do this thing. And I think it was like, 10 seconds of calculation to figure out, okay, well, this is what the difficulty is going to be. And then, okay, it fails, but not badly. Talk about what happens. Oh, okay. Well, I'm trying to make it, uh, you know, summon a rain cloud so that I failed by two, the cloud appears and there's like a little crackle of thunder, but then nothing happens. And it just sort of fades away into the wind. Right. And just having that like super fast, um, one of my design philosophies is for RPGs is like the rules should get the hell out of the way and let people tell fun stories. Yeah. Um, and like, if I could design a role-playing game that was just like, tell a story with your friends, I would, um, <laughs> but people need a little bit more than that. I mean, that sounds like a great rule. So let's just put that one up. Let's, let's do it. <laughs> just write a single book. <laughs> it's yeah. That's our uh, kids on blank. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> Oh, it's like a Mad Lib uh, version of Kids on Bikes. Yeah, yeah. and you just fill yeah. it with whatever you want. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, and we call it the secret, the secret of role playing, and that's what it is. Just that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so there's this fortuitous moment. You're you're working on Spencer. You're working on like this, like almost like template over the top of Kids on Bikes by doing brooms. Uh, Jonathan and Doug are already working on kids on brooms when you came together was it very different from each other or did it feel like the lightning the lightning hit so that everybody was on the same page at the same time even though you weren't in the same room well i created a pitch deck basically because uh i come from the world of of tv and film and so i was like if i'm gonna convince these guys to let me work on this beloved property uh i i have to put something together that shows them that i i sort of maybe kind of know a little bit about what I want to do with it. So, uh, so I uh, I put together a pitch deck that that laid out uh, my design philosophy with the with the version that I had made, uh, my vision for what I was thinking for the game, um, and uh, and then just like generally about what I had already done. Right, I had made character sheets for it. I had created uh, a, a, a uh, the, the you know the intro questions at the beginning of the 
game um, that set up sort of the world that you're in. I had ge I generated some of those. I had generated some different relationships between the characters on the relationship table that had to do with magic um, mm -hmm. at magical school. And so I basically compiled that all into a pitch deck and send over. And um, and I actually don't know at what stage they were at with it when when that when that happened. But uh, but they luckily brought me brought me on um and we sort of just took the things that we liked from that uh and the things that i still felt like and that they still felt like could use a lot of work and we just went to town uh, they could probably speak better about from their angle but that's how it happened for me okay yeah we um were probably about a month into working on it and for us like the first month is very much like okay well we want to do this thing Let's think about it. Let's talk in a week. And then we'll have like an hour long conversation about like, okay, well, it's got to have this. It's got to have this. We want to avoid this. Um, and so we were still in the very much in a very nebulous place with it. Um, we definitely hadn't started like writing the rules for it or anything like that. Um, and so, yeah, when we got Spencer's pitch, like we went through it and we were like, oh, this is brilliant. Um, like this part is really good. Okay. Yeah. This is this thing we're doing. Um, his way is better. Uh, this is this other thing that we were thinking about doing. We like our way. Um, this is another thing we were doing and everything else he said is fantastic. Um, and then I think there was one thing, I don't remember what it was, but there was one element that we were like, we could see this running into trouble. And so like, we just talked through that. Um, but yeah, it was, it was incredibly organic. Um, I was a little nervous at first, like, bringing a third person in because John and I sort of have our uh, have our rhythm down in terms of, of mm -hmm. working. Um, but yeah, I mean, Spencer has been like fantastic to work with. Um, yeah, just fit right in perfectly. Thank you. That's so nice. <laughs> <laughs> they hadn't told you that before? No, it's just it's nice to hear. Yes, I'll take absolutely. It. I'll take it. I'll take it when we get it. <laughs> Prior to this, where are you coming from, Spencer? You, you said you're coming from the world of TV and film. So are you involved in TV and film right now? Yeah, so I'm a, uh, I am live in Los Angeles. Um, I work in, in uh, for a digital media company called Group 9, which is um, we, we do a lot of digital content online. Um, and before that, I worked for a, a YouTube channel, um, one of the big like YouTube channels that was started by YouTube back in the day that was a, called SourceFed. It was like a... Um, we kind of we kind of called it the like John Stewart for millennials, even though John Stewart was for millennials. Uh, but you know, it's like that kind of like internet internet news political kind of uh, and and just kind of fun um, uh, thing. And so so I came from the world of comedy, came from the world of of digital media, um, and and then sort of as Group Nine happened, shifted into the the world of TV and film. And so um, uh, I had I'd spent you know, months uh, working on scripts and working on pitches and these kinds of things. And and one of the things that I was running into is that a lot of times when you when you do that, right, you, it's sort of like a book where you spend, it, it's shorter than a book, luckily, most of the time, scripts are usually about 120 pages, but you spend all this time working on this thing in silence, essentially, like sequestering yourself into a room and writing away for, for days and days and days. And then uh, when you come out, you have a script um, that's probably not very good, and 
and then you shop it around and people go oh this is cool or oh this isn't cool and they put it in their drawer and then it's gone forever and nothing happens with it, <laughs> right like that's, that's kind right. of the cycle the the, the continuous yeah. cycle that happens in, in hollywood and then every once in a while you get lucky and something goes and then you know and hopefully it becomes a thing but like it was this constant repetitive cycle of like i would write a thing i would create a world especially because i love genre i love um uh you know magic and fantasy and sci-fi and those kinds of worlds and so doing that in a um in this kind of economy with the kinds of movies that are being made currently only handed to people that they think can make those kinds of things right i sort of was finding myself stuck um and so uh when we started writing and or when we started playing and, and writing games that allowed us to tell stories in these places that we never would have had the budget to make a story and uh, you know uh, otherwise um and gathering all your friends that normally were were people who were writers or actors or producers or whatever that wanted to tell these stories but couldn't because of budget limitations and getting them to mm-hmm. sit around a table and have this conversation and build these worlds that was sort of my foyer into gaming and into into role-playing games and um that's when a spark kind of came out for me and i i I started, you know, just doing everything I could to play as many of those types of games as possible to to sink my teeth into it. And so then I made Icarus, which ended up getting picked up by Hunters. Um, uh, Ivan through Hunters, him and I met in an airport randomly, and I I got inspired and wrote that game and brought it to him. And uh, and and then that's how I got introduced to Hunters World. And from there, Kids on Brooms came out of it. So. I think, I think that's I, Ivan's superpower, because that's how Kids on Bikes kind of happened, too. <laughs> I randomly ran into Ivan at Gen Con in passing. And, like, we had talked online a few times, and he was like, oh, what are you working on? And he knew me from my board game side. Um, and I was like, oh, well, I'm working on this RPG. And he's like, oh, cool. And I showed him the cover, because we'd already contracted um, Heather to do all the art. And I showed it to him, and he was like, well, I'm rushing to a meeting right now. But don't show this to anybody else. <laughs> and he's like, let's have a conversation tonight. So we met up uh, after his meeting. And then that's that's how the whole relationship started. Yeah, and that was the Gen Con when I came out to Indy and got unbelievably sick and was like sequestered in my hotel room for three days. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, it was, that's terrible. it was the worst. Um, <laughs> that's awful. And so, yeah, so I get this text message from John like, Hey, like, you know, this, this, and this. And I'm like, that's great. Oh, that's great. I'm so cold, but that's great. Um, <laughs> the light is fading. Yeah. Right. right. If I don't make it, go on without me. <laughs> yeah. My dying wish is that you have tropes for the kids. <laughs> <laughs> right. right. Well, I am very excited to uh, get this to the table and check it out. Did you do a lot of uh, playtesting prior to? I, I ran a, a campaign of it, which was really fun, um, just to you know get it on the table. And then the nice thing is is that the game is 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 based on bikes, and bikes has you know uh, I played bikes so many times that there's so many pieces that we sort of knew were just going to work because of that. Right. Um, and so so the major parts that you know r- during the during the running of the campaign that were that were important were uh, were 
making sure the magic system felt right, making sure all the pieces that we had added felt right, making sure setup didn't take too long. Like there's all these kind of, you know, the things that has changed, we sort of modified that and and um, and did what we could. So uh, to, to make sure all of those were tested as well. Yeah, and then we did a lot, a lot, a lot of blind play testing with it as well. Yeah, a lot. Um, Sent it out to a lot of which, people. Uh, went great um and we got a ton of great feedback about it too but i think spencer's testing with the magic system was what was definitely the most important um and really pushed the game in the right direction you didn't do any uh play testing of this at uh, save against fear did you doug i was not allowed to talk about it yet yeah ah, okay yeah i remember when we talked last time you said i've got something under my hat i mm-hmm. can't share it you didn't say it was a pointy hat uh, oh, I should have. That would have been good. <laughs> I don't even know you used the word hat. I think I'm just picking things out from from the oblivion here. Um, Spencer, I just completely lost the thread for a moment there, but did I hear you say you made Icarus? Yeah, yeah, I was the designer on Icarus. What a fantastic game. Oh, thank you. Yep. <laughs> that's, that's not what this show is about, but man, <laughs> I really love Icarus. Oh, good. I'm um, so glad. That is just a lot of fun. We played it at... Um, Pax, uh, Pax Unplugged oh, okay. yeah, this yeah. last year and uh, had a great time with it and I, I bought it immediately and I'm not certain that the people I play with on a regular basis are going to be that interested in it but I loved it. Um, yeah, it's it's definitely a niche game and that's kind of where I'm finding uh, uh, I have another game that's coming out this year as well and, and and it's very much a niche game and and I think that's what what I enjoy is like making games that are very specific, very specifically you know, towards an audience that is going to enjoy that type of thing. And for me, Icarus was my world building game, right? It's my like, yeah. it's the thing that players who uh, really love to tell stories together, who love to, um, and not, not only tell stories, but like create worlds, right? That's the that's the sort of kicker with Icarus is that, is that you're, you have to enjoy sort of that world building aspect. Um, so it's not for everybody, but it's also for the people that do like it, it's sort of their... It's their jam, and I, I, I love that. So thank you. That, that means a lot to me. Yeah, Rise and Fall of Civilization, for those who haven't played Icarus, it's it's a great great narrative story about how you manage a culture that's advancing and then falling apart. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's absolutely one of my three favorite RPGs. Um, yeah, that... That I didn't work on. Um, just absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> we got the like chance not... to play it at Gen Con, and that was so oh, much God, fun. So good. So much fun. So, what was it? Mutant chickens? Was uh-huh. that the... There was something like oh, that. Oh, my God. At some point, there were mutant chickens <laughs> that played into it. It was, yep. yeah. It, get, it can get wild. So, Doug, you, you said your top three role-playing games that aren't yours. So, now yeah. I have to ask, what are the other two? Fiasco and D&D. Fifth day. Oh, yeah. okay. All right. Um yeah. Uh, and then it's going to be hard to pick my, uh, to pick which, which are really my top three when, uh, Alice is missing comes out, which is Spencer's next game. Ooh. Um, sorry. Are we allowed to talk about that? Yeah. Yet? Yeah. Well, I mean, we're definitely oh, good. Okay. Okay. Yeah. 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 I have to cut this. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, Al- yeah, Alice is, Alice is coming. Uh, it's dropping very soon. So we'll, we'll talk about that when it, when it hits, but yeah, it is, uh, it's a, it's a weird one. It's another weird one. So uh, I'm I'm so glad you like it, Doug. It's uh, it's definitely oh again, goodness. it's definitely niche, but it's for people who like that. It's yeah. Well, the same friend who I had had to have the half hour long conversation about Booming Blade with was in the game, 
um, that I played of Alice is Missing. And like, we talked on the phone for, I think, probably an hour and a half. An hour was talking about Alice is Missing. And then the other half hour was Booming Blade. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it like, it it blew my mind and it completely blew my friend John's mind. Like, totally, totally, totally blew it in like the best possible way. Yes. So what is this game? Are we allowed to talk about it? To I that don't extent? know how much I'm allowed to talk about it. It's about a, ah. it's about a, uh, it's still under wraps, but I can say that it's about a young girl, uh, like a teenage girl who goes missing um, in a uh, small Northern California town and sort of the, the, like attempt uh, uh, of the people around her to discover where she's gone. Um, okay. So yeah, but it, it's 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 got a it's got a little more than that that we'll we'll reveal soon. Okay, well, I'll look forward to to hearing about it. it. Feels uh, very it, it sounds very almost like, uh, like special of the week kind of thing, but I, I'm looking forward to it. It's very much like Life is Strange or Oxen Free or any of those kinds of things that uh, any of those kinds of genre. Uh, searching the movie Searching. Okay. So anyway. So now we've we've talked about Doug's favorite three, <laughs> not him RPGs. I feel like I should ask everybody else. John, you want to go? Sure. Um, I'm a I'm a huge fan. Of, I, I'm going to just lump everything powered by the apocalypse together because I love that system. I do love apocalypse. Um, I've been playing masks lately, and I really like that a lot. Um, and Blades in the Dark, I love that one as well. Um, outside of that, I, I love Icarus. I, I hate to just say it with, because Spencer's here, but, um, <laughs> it's fantastic. Um, Thank you. and I, I like one shot stuff. Probably my favorite, um, one shot is the quiet year. I play that as often as I can. It's so oh God, I forgot that. about the quiet year. Oh, oh so my life is so much more complicated now. Um, <laughs> yeah, the quiet year is so good. Yeah, I, I love the the restriction on discussion during that game. I think that's yes. such a smart design decision. I got to get back to that one because I haven't got to like like Jack Birkenstock made a big deal of talking about that one, and I still haven't got to play it. So it's one on my radar to check it's out. It's relatively easy to run online, so if people wanted to play it, I I'm tending towards one shots just because it's hard. Even with the pandemic, it's still hard to get people routinely together. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, true. but if you want to do a one shot, let me know because I would happily run that one. Yes, please. I would join. <laughs> I would find time. I would join. Well, let's set it up. I mean, it only takes about three hours. Yeah, it's not it's not a long game, which is great. Okay. And the, the map part's easy to do on either, you know, Google Drive or even Roll20. Okay. Spencer, what about you? I mean, this is like asking what my favorite children are, right? Like, it's real yeah, tough. Yeah, it's, it's a tough question. It really is. Because um, I'm sitting here thinking, am I going to ask the same question I, to myself? <laughs> <laughs> right. It's real tough. You better. Um, I, I, I would say of the stuff I haven't tinkered with, uh, the stuff that I haven't uh, made because that stuff sticks close to you, uh, I mean, Kids on Bikes is um, definitely, and I'm not just saying that, that's like literally <laughs> the system I think I've played uh, yeah. the most out of these ones I'm going to talk about. Um, Thank you. Uh, 
Masks is far and away my favorite PBTA game simply because of what it does to create um, genre through its mechanics, right? It, it reinforces that genre with its mechanics more so than any game I can think of. Um, and then for the queen, which I don't know the if queen. any of you have had the chance okay. to play, but it's a, it's a piece of brilliant game design. Alex Roberts is, uh, is one of my favorite designers and that game does more with, uh, does more for story than most games do with much less components. Uh, yeah. I would say less components than any of those games do. It is absolutely brilliant. So brilliant. If you haven't had the chance to check it out, please, please go play it. Um, it's quick. You can play it in like an hour, I think. If you, mm-hmm. if you, depending on where you put the card, we tend to play for like an hour, and it is, it's a brilliant. It's a masterclass in in game design. First time I played that was this year, the ride back from Gen Con. Uh, I carpooled out with Jay Treat, um, and we played it once, and then like drove for an hour or two. And I was like, "So, uh, do you want to play for the for the Queen again?" <laughs> he was like, "You know that I do." Um, and yeah, so that was amazing. I, I, was, I, was, I have to give special mention to probably one of my one of the more unique games that I played in the last year. The King is Dead. Um, which is designed by D. Vincent Baker and uh, Midway Baker. Um, it is it's it's a RPG party game. I would have to describe it as that does a um, Game of Thrones style story with like trying to build a poker hand, and it's really good. Hmm. That's exciting too. You guys are just going to give me a list of things to buy, basically. <laughs> I already got Icarus. I don't. I don't know masks. I don't know for the queen, and I, I don't know the king is dead. Oh yeah, you got to pick uh, up some masks. That yeah, go grab it. Go grab it. Okay. Yeah, I haven't played masks yet either. Oh, Doug, you would love masks. Yeah, it's t- it's teen superheroes, and it's all yeah. about like building that inner team conflicts and uh, camaraderie okay. and stuff. Right. It's yeah. Well, it's uh, Teen Titans or Young Avengers or uh, you know any of those in the genre but it's spider-man is what it is it's really mm-hmm. it's really spider-man spider-man but a bunch of different characters well every time somebody suggests i've had two or three different people suggest kids in costumes as our as another game for us um and the first time i brought it up john was like no nah, masks exists yeah masks <laughs> masks perfected like, that all right. all right fair yeah i uh it, I love, so at the end of every session, my favorite part is you have to do, every player has to do a move where they discuss like how they grew closer with the team or grew apart from the team. And it, it makes the end of session like super tense of like trying to feel like, trying to find out how everybody feels about their relationship with the team as a, as a thing. Hmm. That's cool because I, I think about group dynamics and the uh, the importance of being able to sort of flesh those out. And, uh, you know, if I don't know if you guys have listened to Rolling for Change or if you know what Rolling for Change is about, but I'm by trade a therapist. And so I'm always looking for games that will have a an element to it that you can sort of put into a therapeutic situation. That sounds like it would fit that. Well, the, the other thing about masks that's, that's really neat that might sort of fit into that as well is that you don't have hp you don't have like health in the game you okay. have conditions and uh what, what they mean by conditions are things like angry or 
afraid or um, uh, what are some other ones? Um, I'm drawing a blank off the top of my head, but but basically they're emotions and they're the things that you're feeling in that in that moment. And um, and so when you get hit, right, you're not going to die, but you could become afraid. Um, and then you have to play that in, in you know, in the uh, you have to play that in the in the scene, the way that your character would react in that way. So so that's a really cool kind of piece as well that gives you the gives you more emotional grounding in mm -hmm. your game than perhaps in other games. Yeah, the conditions are fantastic. So I've been sitting here thinking about it. I I, I think I have my three. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's just based on game experiences. So I, I, I'm missing a lot of game experiences because it's been a long time coming to get back into role-playing games because... For the past five to eight years, I've been almost solely focused on on just tabletop board games. Um, but uh, Kids on Bikes is definitely probably in my top right now. I've yeah. just had the most fun with it. I've played it more times than any other game recently. Um, there Thank is you. a indie game called Dog Eat Dog, which I think is a fantastic way of exploring the way that oppression works. Um. I, I can't remember the, the authors of it right now, which is unfortunate, um, but it is a fantastic game uh, where you sort of build an island culture and you, you have the colonized and the, the colonizers and the relationship between them and the, the dynamics of play across that, the way you move back and forth, the, the sense of power is just uh, amazing and it creates great stories. Um, and... The other one I haven't played yet, so it's kind of hard for me to say it's one of my favorites, but it's one of my favorite ideas, and that is Afterlife Wandering Souls by Elizabeth Chaprudicun. Oh, yeah, I've heard of that. I haven't had the chance to play it either, but it, it sounds real neat. It, it is such an open-ended system. So that, one's, that, that one has fantastic art, right? Yes, it does have fantastic art. Um, uh, but just the way that... Uh, that Liz put together her storytelling system and the way that you can do anything. So I, I can imagine that a kids on bikes or kids on brooms could, could out could come out of that because it's almost like a container for storytelling and you can just tell the weirdest and wildest stories you can think of. So that's one that's on my waiting list to hope to get to play sometime soon. Um, but we had her on recently on uh, rolling for change and it was just fantastic to get to talk to her and talk to her about her system. Yeah, I'm gonna have to get a copy of that. That looks so good looking at it now. I, I think I was looking at it when it was on Kickstarter. Anyone who has an interest in playing like a spiritually based role playing game, I think I think that's got a really strong part to it. So yeah, those yeah. are those are my three for right now. Although I, nods to um, Iron Gods Pathfinder because I've been playing Iron Gods Pathfinder for the past five years. I think it's five years now, maybe four. Uh, we, we were playing at a really slow rate sometimes, um, but it's been fantastic. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I can't wait to check out Afterlife. That's, uh, I'm just looking at it now. and um, uh, I, I'd, heard, I, I'd heard it on another podcast. We talked about it on another podcast, and um, I, I hadn't seen the art. But, man, the art makes me want to play it even more. <laughs> yeah. The power of yeah. good art, right? It's true. Yeah. That's true, and you guys have a great artist for for your system. Oh my god, yeah, I'm so excited that Heather uh, Heather came back for this because I it's so funny. Uh, John Doug, I didn't tell you this, but before I knew that 
before I talked to Ivan about brooms, I had reached out to uh, Heather because I was going to pitch to to YouTube before I even knew Ivan at all. Like before I knew him at Gen Con, uh, I was going to pitch um, bro uh, brooms, um, and I was going to try and get a a like very small piece done by her to be able to show what it might look like. And, oh, cool. uh, and so I reached out to her and I was like, what, like, what, what's the, uh, you know, what's the price for this to happen? And it ended up being more than I was able to do just on a, on a, um, a spec. Right. So I was like, it's yeah. fine. We'll just pull some art. It'll be okay. We'll make the pitch. And then everything sort of <laughs> fell into place. So it's so funny now working with her. Uh, it was, it was sort of this full circle where I was like, I always wanted her to do this brooms, uh, the kids on brooms art. And now when we saw the cover, when the cover finally dropped, it was like, oh, it's real. Great. This is yeah. everything I ever <laughs> asked for, wanted, could, could want in life. Uh, <laughs> yeah, her art is just Jesus. It's so good. Uh, it's so unique. Yeah, and I and think so, that's this what, has uh, some of her best stuff, I think. Yeah, it's a really striking cover. I I really like it. Mm -hmm. uh, it fits right up there with the other two books, but uh, it, it's uh, it's just amazing how how she puts characters together. Mm -hmm. I, I think my favorite part of every project so far has been the, the late night call with Dud where we do the art description because we, I think we just try to like one up each other in our, in our like weird descriptions <laughs> and stuff and coming up with like dumb yeah. things. And right. And like Dud will throw something out there and I'll be like, Oh, well, what if we do this? And then he'll be like, Oh, well, yo, what if we do this? And it's, it always ends up with, you know, Heather, doing these things that I wouldn't even think of and making them just so much better than the dumb things that Dougie like. <laughs> so yeah, then like, you guys give her ideas and she brings them to life and puts her own spin on, onto it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Usually like we'll do, we'll do an art, just you know, like a, like a three sentence art description for each thing in the dimensions. And then she'll go out and do them. And, yeah. and I have to say, most of the time, like, at most, like, she'll send us, like, five pieces at a time, and we may have revisions on, like, two of them, and usually it's only, like, one revision ever. Like, she is the absolute best to work with. Yeah. yeah. And I, I hate talk. like, part of me doesn't want to talk about how good she is to work with publicly, because I don't want, <laughs> like, I want her to do on light stuff forever. Right. Right. Do you guys yeah. give her something like, you're, like I'll bet she can't do this, and then you throw it at her, and she's like, do, 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 done. <laughs> no, in I, fact, like this last time she said, oh, well, it's been uh, groomed. At one point she said she was going to just surprise us and draw a vacuum cleaner for one of them. <laughs> and we we're like, why didn't you do that? That's fantastic. And she's like, well, I didn't think you guys wanted me to go off script. <laughs> and we we're like, no, do 100%, do whatever. And, you know, it's rare we'll say no. Yeah. I, so whatever the first next piece of kids on brooms art she needs to do is because all the art for the book is done. But like the next thing is going to have a kid riding a damn vacuum cleaner. Like, yeah, I that's love it. for sure it's, happening. It's so I was going to say that it's got to happen. Yeah, <laughs> that's fantastic. <laughs> kids on like a Swiffer. Like, let's do this thing. Like, let's go. <laughs> I think my my well, I have two favorite pizza pieces of art in this one. And one of them is, well, Doug was like, well, we need somebody like studying somewhere in there <laughs> yes. and i was like all right well 
I want it to be a riff on the lo-fi beats to chill and study to that everybody gets recommended on YouTube all the time. And like, it's a, it's a very, it's like a piece of anime art. And it's, it, the YouTube video is just that art all the way through, but it seems like it, everybody will recognize it as soon as they see it. Um, but, oh, it's so good. All right. Since you're talking about lo-fi beats, I have to I have to talk about this thing, and I I want to get the creators on uh, rolling for change because I'm so excited about this this. Yeah, you might call it a game, you may not call it a game, but have you guys seen Kind Words on Steam? Yes, I love it. It's so special and important, and I really hope people don't download it and mess it up because my God, what a brilliant little game i don't know if it's a game i i call it a game i think it's a game i think games are i think games have a very loose definition now and if, if you're playing it and you're enjoying it it can be called a game but uh man, sure what a cool concept oh that sounds fantastic i'm yeah, looking at it right it's, now uh, it's i started playing it or using it whatever you want to call it i started it uh the other night and of course like i said i am a therapist so i, I felt like i was kind of doing therapy in my part-time <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, um, it was just such an amazing thing. So for those who don't know about this this uh, this thing, Kind Words is an app or game that you can find on on Steam. And in this game, it's like a controlled chat room in the sense that like people send out letters to you that say, "This is the problem I'm dealing with," or "These are the feelings I'm having," and you have the option of writing back to them. Now you don't ever put identifying information about yourself. You don't, uh, you're not really going to ever talk to this person again, most likely. So you're just sending a letter into the ether and you're supporting someone who is in need of support. And that was just such a fantastic idea to me because the, the parameters put around the game are fixed so that it's, it's really just a sweet place to be. It just feels like a warm hug every time you go in there because everybody's so positive. And I know there are probably going to be trolls, but luckily there are systems in place to keep trolls from from having any kind of roost here. And that means that for those people that are there, they're going to get the support they need. They're going to have friends. And especially in the midst of this pandemic, someone can go on there and just say, hey, I'm having a rough time. And then everyone can respond to them that wants to respond to them. It's amazing. Yeah, it's so special. And then the lo-fi beats play. Yeah, uh-huh. Yep, yep. <laughs> Yeah, so such a such a unique idea. I love it. Well, guys, uh, before we go, because I've had a great time talking to you, and I feel like we could talk forever, but one quick question for each of you. So Rolling for Change is about games that transform you. And I know we've talked to Doug about this in a previous episode, but uh, John and Spencer, do you want to talk about a game that has made an impact in your life? Oh wow, that's a that's a big question. I know. <laughs> Let me think about it for one second. I know I sure. there's a couple, but I wanna I wanna answer right. <laughs> there's no right or wrong answers here. I don't I don't know if I could pin it down to just one game. I mean you know, gaming in general has had such a huge impact. Like I wouldn't want to discredit like even the the bad games that i've played of all you know been good experiences with friends like 
Yeah. Yeah, I would batch over the last like probably twelve to thirteen years of like playing board games and how much of a how much of an impact that's had. Yeah, personally and then eventually professionally, like, wow. One game that's had an impact. I, I guess I'd have to pick Powered by the Apocalypse, like Dungeon World and um, the actual Apocalypse World. Like they, they made me reevaluate how to play board game, how to play RPGs, and that. Like, so I grew up in a very, very rural area, and like n- tried to learn Dungeons and Dragons from the rule books, which. RPGs are not written in a way that teach you how to play them generally, which is kind of one of the things we wanted to do with Kids on Bites was let people, when they play it, learn how to play RPGs a little bit by, you know, asking the players questions and things like that. Um, But like Powered by the Apocalypse told me that I didn't have to make like detailed maps of things. And, you know, I didn't have to have all the answers ahead of time. You know, I could just say, like, if they want to say, is there an apothecary here? I could just say yes, and I didn't have to know where it was. So I think that that those types of games really changed the way that I played role-playing games and informed, you know, the way I wanted to design them, too. So you're saying Powered by the Apocalypse. Is that the same as the Apocalypse Engine? Yeah, it's, it's the Apocalypse Engine now. Yeah, it used to be called Powered okay. by the Apocalypse. Got it. Okay, okay. Yeah, I've heard playthroughs of Apocalypse, and it's been fantastic. I, I that's one I need to get uh, a chance to play. Well, Apocalypse World. Is there What's that? Talk about Apocalypse World, the yeah. original one. Yeah, yeah, second edition just came out too, which is great. Nice. I have to remember that too. Um, You know, it's it's real tough. Uh, there's a, there's a lot of stuff that's that's changed the way that I play. I think I think there's two different things here for me. One of them is from a one of them is from a GMing standpoint, right? Mm. And that um, very much was masks. Uh, it it has a very it explains how to play Apocalypse Engine games in a way that just resonated with me so much. Um, and, and it did it, it, it was, it was a game that showed me, especially when we played in our campaign with, with, and it might've been the group that we were with. I'm not sure, but, um, it was a game where everybody cared about each other a lot. Character wise, player wise, you know, uh, the play, the players cared about each other, but the characters truly cared about each other and had these deep relationships that, you know, and, and, and were watching each other go through things that were difficult and, um, and yeah, so that that was that was one that changed the way that I looked at games and how we can how we can have emotional resonance in games and get into things that are tough, uh, topics that are difficult. Um, and then the other one from a design perspective, again, two games on my top games ever played, uh, uh, what was um, for the Queen because it showed me how games can be more than the sum of their parts. There can be an alchemy mm. in games that doesn't that, that when you just look at the cards for that game, you don't quite get why it works the way it does. But when you play it, there's a magic there. And that magic is something that I ever since playing that game that I've been striving 
to capture, right? That lightning in a bottle that like mm-hmm. the game, if you read through the rule book, yeah, it sounds like a game, but when you play it, it's something entirely different. And for the queen did that for me. And um, so, yeah, so that's why I think that it hopefully does that for others and will, and will change the way people think about games. All right, that's two votes for mask and two votes for uh for the queen. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep. That's uh that sounds about right for me. Doug, do you want to offer a, another one from what you offered before? Yeah. Not that I remember what you offered before. So. Yeah. Um <laughs> I don't remember what game it was, but I was playing uh some kind of board game with my wife early on and I don't I don't even know if we were married yet or not we probably were um and I like I demolished her at it um uh-huh. and like was already winning and did something that made me win even more and we got done and she said was that fun for you and I was like yeah okay, I know this is a trick. Um, <laughs> but it it actually got me to stop and think about, like, even in games where the goal is to win, that the, the point is still to have fun and make sure that everyone at the table has fun. Um, and that if you win a game and the people you're playing with don't enjoy it, really you've lost. Um, and so that was a really transformative moment for me game wise. Yeah. I don't remember what game it was. I wish I remembered. Maybe it was Catan, but that would, has that changed the way you guys? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. There are just like, she doesn't like games where you can screw the other person out of getting something. Um, and so Mm -hmm. if we play games like that, we just have a standing tacit agreement that like, that's not a strategy either one of us will use. So no take that. Exactly. Right. And so there are definitely games we don't play. Um, that's what it was. I just looked at it. Um, it was legendary, the Marvel deck building game. Oh, Oh, yeah. yeah. And I thought it was collaborative. It it is, but there's like the way the rules are written, there's one winner. It's semi co-op. You either oh, okay, okay. all lose or one person wins. And I think uh, she was building her deck in a particular way, and I swooped up one of the cards that didn't help me. Um, and I was already way ahead. Like, I scooped up, you know, like a, an 8 by uh, Hulk or something that didn't help me, just so she couldn't have it. Um, uh, okay. And, yeah, um... And that just sort of changed the way I thought about it. And actually, we then I then said, like, hey, in the future when we do this, let's just play this full co-op. Um, and and then we played a lot of Legendary and had a really good time. <laughs> so. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, my, my friends play it super aggressive where if one player doesn't think they can win, they'll just tank the game. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, it's not, that's not a game I want to play, right? Yeah, that's that's a dangerous proposition. The idea that you're going to because you're not going to win, 
might as well just screw everybody mm-hmm. else. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, I, I don't know, that's, that's kind of the crux of the dead of winter. Uh, it is. That's that that's is. my jam, but that that fits for that, that game actually. Like it, it fits thematically, whereas like superheroes, that's not how superheroes work. Right. No. Right, like that's the buy-in for Dead of Winter, and that's like Dead of Winter is a game I would never play with Andrea. Um, but I I will for sure play Dead of Winter, just like you know going in. Um, it's the same thing in role-playing games. Like I won't play evil characters, and I I actually have a policy that I won't GM for evil characters. Uh, but I'll play the hell out of Fiasco. <laughs> have, have, have you ever heard of the what people call the uh, the breakup variant of Dead of Winter? No. Uh, so, two players in the rulebook you play fully co-op, but I came up with a a separate set of rules um, because there were a lot of people that want to play two players but not fully co-op, and <laughs> both players get a regular secret objective and a betrayal secret objective, and it's it's prisoner's dilemma ish. If, if they both win, like if you complete the main objective, you check your normal objectives and you can both win together. Um, but if the game, uh, if you lose, you both reveal your betrayal secret objectives. And if one person betrayed, they win. And if both people had betrayed, they both lose. Oof. <laughs> it's that golden balls. Yeah, it's 100% golden balls. Uh-huh. What's golden balls? That's brilliant. Oh man, oh, I'll, I'll man. send everybody a link after. It's a British TV show that is essentially Prisoner's Dilemma the for a huge amount of money. Okay. Yeah. Golden balls. It's crazy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, now I'm gonna look for this. I also want to comment on on Fiasco just being such a brilliant feat of uh, uh, you were talking about. <clears throat> fiasco being you know something that you'd like to play and that's a game that i haven't played as much as i've wanted to and it is up there with some of the some of the top stuff that uh, when i have of what i have played of it just it being such a um a unique look at at games and how games can be different from what we what we traditionally think of them as right like it's it, it, it's it pushed the medium in such an in such a unique way mm-hmm. uh that i think that you have to have it's it, again it's a niche game it's it's a game that that you would that you kind of have to have some improv chops mm-hmm. to uh to be able to play but man if you get the right group with that game it is unlike you know anything else you'll really play so shout out to, as a runner-up it's probably my most played rpg Really? Yeah, I'm not surprised. It's it's so good. And there's so many playsets out for it. It's very, very good. I'm just going to go on a binge. I need to go play Fiasco. <laughs> and I need to go... There's so many I need to play uh, Fiasco is another one that runs really well online. And, and it's great because it's a one-shot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Okay. All right. Well, thank you guys so much. Especially for talking to us about kids on brooms and, and all these different things. It's... it's uh, it's been wonderful to learn more about things. Um, I have already backed Kids on Brooms. If people want to back Kids on Brooms, they can go and go to Renegade Game Studios where you can pre-order the book. It comes out in August. Um, anything you, else you guys want to say about it? Uh, I'm just so thankful to have 
been able uh, to have been a part of of actually making it real. Uh, something yeah. that I dreamed about for you know a long time before we actually got to got to make it a thing. And so, um, uh, John Doug, I've already you know obviously there's uh, there's it takes a lot of trust to be able to bring somebody else in. So I, I just appreciate you guys letting me jump on and having some fun with it. Well, it's been the best working with you. So I'm yeah. I'm glad that you trusted us with your ideas too. Oh, thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Working with you has been so fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. You a, a thousand times in return. So thank you. Sure. Yeah, actually, Spencer, this is not really kids on brooms. This is actually, this is your life. <laughs> 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 hey, if you know what, if kids on brooms could be my life, I think I'd, <laughs> I think I'd do that. Well, where can people find you guys besides Renegade Studios if they want to, if they want to yell at you and say, "Hey, great job," or sorry if they if they say, "Hey, terrible <laughs> job," but hopefully they say, "Hey, great well, job." Constructive feedback is always great. Yeah, negative feedback is my favorite, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, my design, my another part of my design philosophy is it takes shit to make followers grow. So, mm-hmm. you know, people people poo pooing on my games just makes them better. Excellent. So uh, where can they find you guys? Uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at John Gilmore, J-O-N-G-I-L-M-O-U-R. Okay. And uh, I am on Twitter at Levzilla, L-E-V-Z-I-L-L-A. And you can find me at Spencer Stark, S-P-E-N-S-E-R-S-T-A-R-K-E. Awesome. And you can find most of these games, well, a lot of these games we've talked about, you can find on Renegade, maybe not all of them. Icarus is there. Mm-hmm. Kids on Bikes, Brooms, and Space is there, or mm-hmm. Teens in Space. Uh, and probably some others. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, we, could, we should have just went with Kids in Space, I think. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah. Teens sounded better, but now it's this weird one out, so we have to decide like, if we're going to use Teens again. Right. Oh, you just do it every other now. Yeah, kids so on way, teens it, in. When you get the box set out, it's kids, teens, kids, teens, kids, mm-hmm. teens. And then somewhere along the line, you'll have to do like uh, senior citizens. <laughs> uh, so for, I'm not allowed to say too much about free content Friday. Okay. But if people are interested in that, there's a good chance they should keep an eye on free content Friday. When is Free Content Friday? Uh, so Free Content Friday is something that Hunters and Renegade do for their RPGs uh, the first of the month, uh, the first Friday of the month every month. Oh. Oh, the first Friday. So that would, okay, all right. Yeah, and there's always... That's new, coming mm-hmm. up. It, yeah, well, the, the uh, one of them just dropped, uh, I think, yesterday. Um, and then, yeah, and we do it every month, and there's new things that are released for for the game so like uh i think this past one had a playthrough of brooms um Mm -hmm. the actual play of brooms that happened uh uh for icarus i do every month i do a new like setting that you can play the game in um uh and so and i did one for kids on bikes and for teens in space like how to port those games how to do icarus as a session zero Mm -hmm. um i know that uh, Outbreak Undead has like different scenarios that they release through there. So anyway, there's a lot of free stuff you can just get on, on, uh, on the free content Fridays. So go check those out. That's awesome. All right. 
Well, thank you guys so very much for talking to thanks. me. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thanks for having uh, us. Look forward to, to finding out more. And for the rest of you guys, keep on rolling for change. I didn't say Doug. <laughs> thanks for listening to Rolling for Change. We are a proud member of the Geek Therapy Network. If you're looking for a supportive community of fellow geeks, Geek Therapy has created a space online at geektherapy.com forward slash discord. Over there, you'll find a friendly, welcoming group where you can unwind, share your passion for the media you love, and build relationships in a supportive environment. You can even find a space to talk about your favorite Rolling for Change episodes. Also, if you'd like to contact Rolling for Change, our email is gamers at rollingforchange.com. Now bring your attention to our incredible theme music. The song is called Galileo, and it comes from Rocket Scientists. You can purchase all of their music over at rocketscientists.bandcamp.com. As always, thanks for listening, and keep on rolling for change. Rolling for change.